Hello, everybody. Good morning and welcome. Good to see you all this morning. I am loud and echoing and reverberating. It is the voice of your... Yeah, I know, I should probably... You want me to turn this down so you guys can hear your conversations a little better? Yes. How rude, how rude of me to interrupt you guys. You came to church on Sunday just to hang out and be social. Should we have a social Sunday? I mean, should we really just turn this to like a one Sunday where... I thought that, you know, with the whole eating the food afterwards, like days of yore. We did put something in, and you guys should know about it. The building across the street is the original church, as you guys know, 1948. The placard on that wall across the street. So when there wasn't a whole lot in the town, somebody gave the, someone a vision of maybe the way Costa Mesa could be. That building, 48, has had no air and no heating its entire life, a lot like this building did. And uh, this last week, we invested uh, a few dollars uh, in the tune of 25000 That's how much a cheap little air conditioner is today in the world we live in. But you know what? We want you guys to be comfortable with the events over there, and it's been a real struggle. Some of the children recently froze and um, <laughs> during sleeping time, and when the parents came to pick them up, they had to hand them back to their parents like this. And we just took that as a sign that maybe it's too cold. And unless we want to change that into like a meat locker or some other form of service to the community. But yeah, thank you guys for allowing us to do that. We did the same thing. Yeah, the, the preschools, I know the preschools, very appreciative. The blankets, the pile of blankets was growing every week. Kids were coming in like mug lugs and Canadian, you know, clothing wear. It's like, we have to sleep at some point. But I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a 75-year-old building. And I'm very blessed to be part of it. But we want to continue to invest in it and keep it going so that generations more can come and do that. So if you guys have any events in the upcoming future and you're like, oh man, it's going to be really hot or really cold, it's not over there anymore. We're going to, we got that worked out. Thank, oh, you, thank you for your heat. We also invested in a, a $10 heater for the green room, <laughs> which the old guys that meet in their Wednesday tell me that that was a real game changer. So, you know, we're, $10 versus 25000 You tell me, it's a little harder to please one side. The two-year-olds have a little higher mandate compared to the, you know, 40 and 50 and 70 and 80-year-old guys. So we do what we can to make them all happy. Uh, God bless you guys. Thank you for being here. Um, as Sherry was talking about some of the stuff we've been sharing. She's highlighting some care ministry stuff. And this week it was care ministry. I've also been highlighting with you guys some of the stuff for the membership class. Um, this would be my last Sunday preaching on Acts. Next week, Rod will take us home in chapter 28, and we will finally conclude our time in Acts. And then that first week in March will be our new book study. We're going to, you have to show up to see what we're going to do, but we're going to jump into a small book study while I take the time for the uh, surgery and all that. Excited about that whole process, but nonetheless, it is a little bit of a change. But today I wanted to highlight a component of the membership class. I talked to you guys last week about this idea of the first one was grow. We want you guys to invest in your life, and that's part praying every day, learning how to pray on a regular basis, not just before bed, not just before eating certain food, or not when a really important event comes up, but the idea of what is it praying without ceasing, that's a really important part of it, and then talking about reading, having this regular kind of connection to God's word, and if you do all that, it kind of leads to this idea that we talk about the second component of serving, to serve is something that God has built into the church and built into us. Jesus definitely made it very clear that he came to serve. And so we want to make sure in part of that membership class that what we talk about is the idea of service. And I wrote down, wrote down just a few things about service. So you can serve in any one of those ministries. So like just being part of the ushers and greeters. If you ever want to be part of the ushers and greeters, the gentleman standing back there in the gray sweater, Charlie, is in charge of that. He's our deacon in charge of that ministry. They would love to kind of give you a chance to meet and greet people. And it's a great way to kind of just connect with the church as the church continues to grow and meet people. You can also jump into care ministry or a serve ministry, or of course, maybe even a small group where that gives more life on life. And so however you need to serve, we want to encourage you that that's a really important part. Matter of fact, and we talk about in the class, the difference between like a clipper ship and a cruise ship, right? You know, on a cruise ship, you go and you sit down and then they serve you right? And that's not what the church is supposed to be like, where you come and, and the church just comes to serve you. But on a clipper ship, like the kind you'd see down maybe in a harbor down in San Diego, one of those big tall mass ships, every single person on that boat has a role. 
And every single person on that boat has to do that role in order for that boat to move and go wherever it's going to go. And that's a better concept of what we feel like God's called the church to be is that we want all of you to have a role. No one role is more significant or less significant. They're all roles, right? And we're all under the headship of Christ anyway. So he's on top and the rest of us are just serving in whatever capacity we are. So if you're thinking about that, uh, I look forward to sharing more with you. And then next week we'll talk about investing, how to invest ourselves in it. Other than that, like I said, I'm going to finish chapter 27 today. It's going to be a pretty heavy read. Um, I just felt like when I was tearing the passage apart, there was no way to do due diligence and just pull out 10 verses or whatever. So I'm going to make an attempt to try to read through it and kind of exegete as we go through that. I hope that helps you. But it's an incredible passage. It's an incredible study that we've been in. I mean, the fact that this guy has been since chapter 24 in jail before governors giving this constant testimony about who God is and what his faith is all about, and yet still has not been charged. You talk about due diligence. We talk about um, what's right and what's wrong. Paul is still being held without any actual charge, and he goes through one governor all the way through Felix, right? He has this entire period of time with him, and Felix is hoping that he'll bribe him and all these different things as he keeps him in jail. He doesn't do any of those things. He goes to the next governor, Festus, and Festus does the same thing, this continuum of questioning all these different things, still to no avail. And now they put him in front of King Agrippa last week. And King Agrippa goes through the entire conversation with him. Same conversation they've had before, they have again, and still no charge. The only thing that came that was really interesting from that, as you guys remember from last week, was the point where King Agrippa actually felt like Paul was trying to convert him. And we talked about that in the message, the idea, the power of your testimony. And one of the things Paul's starting to actually realize, the power of your testimony to invoke someone to make a consideration about eternity is becoming so powerful to Paul that he's realizing, I don't have to candy coat it for each people group. I don't have to make nuances or kind of considerations for the people I'm talking to. I just need to share what God has done for me. And so he really focuses on the road to Damascus. I was going down there, a fervent Jew, a Pharisee, ready to put Christians to death, right? And then on that road, I met the risen Lord and everything changed. And he just calls people out and says, this is what it is. And this is what I've found to be true. And so that's what I'm presenting to you what do you want to do with it? And I found it very interesting that in the passage last week, uh, the king actually replied to him, do you think you can convert me so quickly? Right? His, his message and testimony had changed so much that now rather than just giving an account of what happened on the road to Damascus, that account is now giving an accountability saying, hey, you've now heard what God did for me, and I'm sharing that with you. Make consideration what God's calling you to do, right? Because it's a decision of significance. Of all the decisions you're going to make in life, I mean, what does marriage, that's important, right? We think about all the time and energy. We think about who we're going to marry and then all the difficulties it is to maintain that decision. But buying a car, some people will spend more time buying a car than they will thinking about an eternity for a decision for eternity, right? Maybe it's a job that you're looking into and you'll do all this research or maybe investing, all these things. People will take time if they think it's significant to do the due diligence. But Paul is saying, hey, look, here's something that's not only worth your time, but let me explain it to you. This is what eternity is all about. And I love that. You know, the Bible talks about eternity has been placed on the heart of man. Anytime you share with someone, one of the other components that I shared with you is that when you share with someone, they're not refusing you. Your testimony or what you account about God to them, they're not refusing you. Remember, they're actually refusing the Holy Spirit because that is the only unforgivable sin, blasphemy, right? And so we want to make sure we understand something. Every time we get a chance to share, we share. So we're heading into chapter 27. Paul is now, you know, he's done with being in jail. He met with the king. He did everything he could. The king still can find no charge against him. He thinks he's a little bit crazy. He knows he's trying to convert him. And he basically says to him, if I could, I would release you right now because I find absolutely nothing wrong in who you are and what you've done. But you appealed to Caesar. And as a Roman citizen who appeals to Caesar, I now have nothing that I can do about it. To Caesar, you must go. So this is kind of interesting to think that you're sending him to the highest form of authority there is in the land with no charges against him. Like, think about that today. If you, you stood before a Supreme Court judge, right? And as you walked up to the mic and said, and I, I'm standing before you today with no charge against me. Well, what else are you going to do if you have no charge against you? So we already know what he's going to do. But remember that the Caesar he's going to stand before and give testimony is the most horrific Caesar recorded, Nero. 
So all this time in jail, all these different things to do this get to Rome point. He's on his way to Rome now. He's going to get, go down to the harbor. He's going to get in a boat. It's a three-hour cruise, and they're just going to cruise around the island. Three-hour cruise. Okay, thank you. You've got to be awake here. Three. He's in Jerusalem. He's going to Rome. That's 1,400 nautical miles. It's not three hours. 23 days estimated. Okay? And as soon as he takes off, it kind of feels like everything might go his way. But who are we talking about? We're talking about Paul. Okay? Has anything gone his way at all, ever? It's not going to go his way today. We've got a lot of verses to read. Let me pray. And then uh, we'll, we'll end. Also, I want to let you know today, in this service, we have a very special child dedication and goodbye, but I'm going to save it for the end, so be prepared. It's going to be a very exciting conclusion to today. All right, let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the morning, and thank you for the opportunity to open up your word, and we're going to, we're going to dive deep. We're going, to, we're going to go over a lot of verses this morning, so I pray that the total of all this information is that people would realize that Paul continually was asked to do things and be things that a lot of us would say are just, it's too much. And yet he bend and he flexed and he continued to trust and he continued to show faith. And even when he didn't understand, I love how you send an angel to just remind him, what I've told you will be, will be. And in that you can have total confidence and you, my friend, will have peace in the storm. You will have a calm in the storm that no one else could ever have. I pray this morning that as we come before you as believers, we too can see in this passage how we too can have calm and peace in the storm because of who we are in Christ. Asking your son's precious and holy name. Amen. All right, so here we go. We are going to start with uh, Acts 27, and uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 12, and then I'm going to break it apart kind of as I'm going through it, like I said, because we have so many verses to cover. So, uh, New American Standard. Is what I'm reading today. All right. And when it was decided that we would set sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. So we boarded a ship from the Adraminium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia. And we put out to sea with Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, who was with us. All right. First little nuance there. We set out for sail. Okay. The journey's 1,400 miles. But already, it's an interesting component. Paul is setting out for Rome to go stand before Caesar with people. Okay? He's bringing a posse with him. This is kind of a, an interesting nuance, because a lot of times when you read this passage, you want to get to the meat and potatoes of it, but just like this little nuance. How is someone who's been in jail for all this time able to take people with him to go to Caesar. Like, who's paying for this boat ride that you get to take people along with you? How is a prisoner shown favor from the very beginning? Right? I think this is an interesting point to the passage before I even got started, and I kept coming back. The journey's 1,400 miles long. It's about late October, and Paul's taking with him his friend, Aristarchus, but he's also taking the author, Luke. Okay? Luke is a doctor. And Luke is very meticulous about what he's writing. So Luke writes the book of Luke and Acts. And because of that, one of the things that we're going to find out about this passage is this passage in Acts 27 is considered today one of the most archaeological, if correct, maritime stories accounted for in the Bible. Acts 27, the totality of Acts 27 includes some information that helps people understand how ships sailed, where they sailed, the method in which they sailed, and what they did when they actually encountered storms. So think about this. Luke is now signed up for this little three-hour cruise, and he's going to witness everything, and even though everything that's about to happen is going to be monumentally catastrophic, Luke is going to document every single thing. It's absolutely incredible. But it also shows us this, that Paul has privileges. That Paul has already been given a privilege by God that he could take some people with him for encouragement. And he's also found favor in the very beginning from a Roman centurion. Now, we've had a Roman centurion come up in a couple of different passages. So for those of you not familiar with what a Roman centurion is, century 100, okay? Centurion over 100. So a Roman centurion is over 100 men, handpicked. Echelon, like the SWAT, the green berets of the days of yore, okay? Within a legion of men in the Roman army, 6,000 
you have these centurions. So it's 60 centurions over 60 groups of 100, 6,000 men. Those 60 centurions are hand-picked. Those are the best of the best of the best that Rome has to offer. And the fact that this centurion, Julius, is going to show favor to Paul is also insight that God is giving him favor even with those who would be considered his enemy. Let's keep reading. The next day we landed at Sidon and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go see his friends so that they might provide for his needs. From there we put out to sea again and passed to the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we'd sailed across the open sea to the coast of Sicilia and Pamphylia, we landed in Myra and Lycia. Those of you who don't like Greek names, this is going to be a really tongue twister. But once again, did you notice privileges? Did you notice the privilege again to Paul? That along the way they stopped and in kindness to Paul allowed him to go see friends. How many of you have ever been in the back of a police car? Me? I have. I, as a chaplain, I have. They wanted me to experience what they go through. So they asked me, it's not comfortable. Okay, it's not comfortable, not enjoyable, and the faster you can get out of the better. Paul is now on a three-hour tour to Rome as a prisoner, and from the very beginning, he's allowed to take some friends with him who are documenting it, and when it comes to the very first stop, they're going to pull the boat over and let him go see some friends. This is, I'm telling you, this is, this is unprecedented. For When God does stuff with us sometimes, we don't even realize some of the privilege. Ministry that God intended Paul to do is going to happen, and it's going to happen in front of everyone. And in some ways, people are just contributing and helping Paul out. And I couldn't help but understand this. Where else is it ever recorded that a prisoner has the right to those kind of interactions? Right? If you're in a jail now, you only have a limited amount of interaction, and it's probably through some kind of glass right? Or if you do have some kind of visitation or whatever, it's a very limited amount of time, all restricted by them. But they're saying, hey, get off the boat and go do. And Paul has been given these incredible freedoms. And as we watch the story continue to unfold, I can't help but think about this. God is allowing him privileges that are going to be very useful. Let's keep reading verse 6. Then the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us off. And we made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Sinaitis. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete, opposite of Salmon. And we moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens, near the town of uh, Laessa. Um, I have a slide of the boat. Hopefully, Marcus and me, we can figure some of these things out. The boat that he's sailing on is an Alexandrian grain ship. Uh, Here we go, Alexandrian grain ship. Now, what's interesting about this grain ship is we know all the measurements and we know everything about it, but I, I want you to realize something. 23 days on a boat that has one main square sail, see where there is one main square, one short front main jib, and then it has no rudder. It has two oars. You see the oars coming down the back? So this boat is not meant to sail in rough seas. This is a grain ship. It has, its measurements are 180 long 45 wide and 44 deep. It is meant to sail in a straight line in smooth weather or in protected coves. If wind blows directly at it because of its configuration, if wind blows into that front small jib and into the back of it has no way to steer. It has no way to move. They then have to pull the oars up and let the ship simply go where the wind drives it. That doesn't sound very fun. And we're going to find out not only is it not fun, it's borderline on terrorizing. I wanted you to see that, though, because realize that that has 276 people on it. Not a lot of places to hide in what they're about to face. And Rome had a contract with Egypt. Egypt was very fertile. And so Egypt was where all the grain and all these materials were being produced. And so they had a contract with them. So these ships were running back and forth to Rome nonstop. They knew the trip. They knew the voyage well. But they also knew based on that date, October 5th, that they were right at the end of when it was safe to sail. But Paul has to get there, so they need to go. All right, let's pick it back up in verse 9. Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous, because now it was after the Day of Atonement. Okay? The Day of Atonement, like I said, somewhere October 5th, moving into late uh, September. It's not good. So Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring about great loss to the ship and to cargo and to our own lives. But the centurion Julius insisted on listening. Instead of listening to what Paul said, he followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. 
since the harbor was unsuitable for winter, and the majority of them then decided that we should set sail. Now, here's an interesting thing. They've been showing Paul favor the whole time. They've been allowing Paul the whole time to do these certain things. And here's the first instance in where Paul says, I, ha- I feel something's about to happen. I'm going to give you guys my professional opinion. But instead of hearing Paul and considering what Paul says, who once again is a prisoner on the ship, he asks the pilot of the ship. And then he asks the owner of the ship. Now that's a cargo ship full of grain. So when that cargo ship lands in Rome, guess what happens? Offload the grain, you get paid, right? What do you think their motivation is? They want to get paid. They don't care about the passengers on that ship. That's not paying their way. The cargo of grain is paying their way. And so they're thinking about what's important to them. Paul's not thinking about that. Paul's thinking about this. If you want peace in the storm, you guys should consider what I'm about to tell you because this is my first point I'd like to make. Storms change our directions. Storms force us to make new plans. And you have to consider something, and this is what Paul's going to do. If you want calm in the storm, you have to believe that God is actually directing that ship and not that pilot and not that person who's steering the rudder. Because Paul said, hey, guys, this is going to be bad. And uh, I think Paul has a little bit of expertise to know that. And, uh, and you say, how do I know that? Well, this is about A.D. 60 that this voyage is happening. Back in A.D. 55, five years earlier, Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians. In A.D. 55, he wrote this to the Corinthians. Three times I've been shipwrecked. One time I spent a night in the day in the open sea. At this point in time, Paul's already done about 10,000 miles in travel. If Paul says it's a bad day to travel, if Paul says it's a bad time to be on the sea, Paul had a pretty good take on what he was talking about, and he knew it, and yet nobody wanted to listen to him. But I always find that interesting, you know, when you're looking for the people that have peace in the storm, when you're looking for people that have calm in the storm, somebody that knows that God is in control and the storm is going to change your direction. And we talked about this like two weeks ago. Blessed are the flexible, right? If you can bend with something, if you can move with something, then even though your plan is to get to Rome, the direction that you want to take, I have a map up there I'm going to show you. They have a direction they want to take that makes the most sense. But sometimes the winds are going to blow and sometimes it's going to be really difficult And sometimes God has other plans for you. So let's keep reading and see what those other plans might be. Their other plans are this. Okay, we're in Fairhaven. This is a port that doesn't have much exciting stuff happening here. So we're going to get up and try to move north all the way to Phoenix. And for those of you thinking Phoenix, it's not that Phoenix because that would be really nice too. This is Phoenix uh, on the island. It's 40 miles north of where they are in Twin Harbors. So starting back in 13, when a gentle south wind began to blow... They saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchors, and they sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a now hurricane-force wind called the Nor'easter swept in and down on the island. I love that, right? Gentle winds. It sounds so inviting, like the three-hour cruise, right? We're in this harbor. We're just going to gently sail up there. Nothing's been gentle about anything, right? We're just going to No, as soon as they get in the boat and they head out, a Nor'easter, like basically a, a hurricane. As they passed the lee of the small island called Kata, we were able to make sure the lifeboat was secure. So the lifeboat, as you saw in that picture, was in the middle of the boat. It usually followed the boat as it was sailing on a long rope tether. Now as the winds began blowing around, it became problematic for the way that the boat was moving. So they're trying to bring the boat up and and put it on the ship and then tie it down in preparation for the storm. They're also afraid, too, that they run aground in the sandbars of Cyrus. So they lowered a sea anchor and let the ship be driven. Like I said, some of this documentation that's beginning to happen about what was happening and what they did all becomes stuff today that they've used from the archaeological standpoint. And look, when they go out to find shipwrecks or find boats and they see all these different things, a lot of this is documented right here. 18, we took such a violent battering from the storm over the next day, we had to begin throwing cargo overboard. On the third day, we then threw the ship's tackle overboard. We saw neither sun nor stars, and they did not appear for many days, and that continued raging. We finally gave up hope of ever being saved. And this is my second point. Storms change values. Okay? The storms in life that you're going through, if you want to find peace in the storm, if you want to find calm in the storm, you need to realize something, that when the storm in your life is blowing, it's going to change your values. It's going to change your priorities, right? At some point, a cargo ship full of grain was a high priority. It was a high value. But at some point, when you haven't seen the sun or the stars for days, have any of you had the privilege of being seasick on the ocean? Okay, I am that guy. I grew up in San Clemente, 
family had a, friends had a boat. We would go fishing on the island. I've been throwing up on boats since 1981, okay? I am the human chum line. I just, I hate boats. They hate me. I, I can get sick in Big Bear, a beautiful calm day, and set out for our 30-minute cruise, and wind shop will make me sick, okay? This is days and nights on that boat. Remember the boat. Mark, can you go back to the boat pictures just fast? It's a flat surface boat. You know, if you've ever been on a flat surface boat, you're just, you're doing this all day long. No sun, no stars, no, you're, you're not even steering anymore, right? Your, your oars are up. You're, you're dropping anchors to try to hold the boat. So you're just, you're just, what is that? The value of the cargo at some point became secondary, but when they start throwing the tackle over, do you understand what tackle is? We're not, tackle is how you make the boat work, right? Tackle are, is the means for operating the sail and all that. So when you throw the tackle overboard, especially if you're fishing, right? If you throw your fishing rods and your gear overboard, you have nothing left. Storms change the value to the point that you realize something. There's always something more valuable than cargo and stuff. What's more valuable than cargo and stuff? Human life, right? A priority for us should always be who are the people we are serving and what do we need to do for that human life? Because the stuff that we have, even though it's significant, even though it's important to us, if you're really thinking about it, as you're going through these storms, sometimes you're holding on to something that may literally kill you. In this case, that tackle that grain may be the reason that the ship sinks. If they can lighten the load of the ship because it's such a deep bow, 44 feet, right? That's, it's such a deep bow. If they can get rid of the grain, the buoyancy of that boat, even though the storm is horrific, may be able to survive the storm. And in this case, that's where it's moving. I love how Paul, you know, ever confident, you know, says something that we all want to say in verse 21. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before the men and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. I'm glad that the Bible records stuff like this, right? That seems ridiculous to say. He sounds like he's like mom and dadding the boat, right, at that point. They're sick. They haven't seen nothing. They're throwing tackle out. And the same guy saying, I told you so. I'm sure after he said that, he realized that wasn't going the right direction. So then he counters really quick. We could have spared our lives in the damage. But now, verse 22, I urge you, keep your courage up because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. None of us will be lost, but the ship will be destroyed. This is, this is a three-hour cruise that you want. Gilligan has nothing on this. This is, this is bad. Okay? The nor'easter is blowing. The storm is happening. I don't think they even know where they are anymore. They're throwing grain. They're throwing cargo. People are starting to panic. 276 people. Not all of them are prisoners. But the prisoner is now telling everyone, it's okay. We're going to lose everything but our lives. Yes. But we're in the middle of the ocean and it's raging cold. How do you know such a thing? Paul sounds a little bit like our parents. And no one wants to be lost. But Paul had an insight. Verse 23. An angel of the Lord to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously, this is gracious, graciously given to you the lives of all who you sail with. So keep courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will be just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Storms change a lot of different things, right? In this case, the storm has now changed values. Storms have changed perspective. In this case, the captive is now the captain. Okay? When you're in a storm, when you're going through it, and you want peace in the storm, one of the things I would encourage you is somebody needs to pray and realize somebody needs to lead. Because we are all sheep, and we've all gone astray. But when we're in a really good storm like this, we need someone to stand up and say, hey, it's going to be all right. Now, it'd be great if they could say the Lord told me or an angel told me. But if somebody doesn't stand up and lead, just based on what these people have been through before, a lot of these people are giving in. And a lot of these people, when you give in and, you're not, and you don't care, that will to live is a really powerful thing. But Paul is saying, hey, look, we are going to lose everything but our lives. I'm still trying to find how that can be super encouraging, but I mean, I want to live, right? I want to live. I, the stuff at the end of the day has got to go. But how, what is it going to be like? Remember, he's already been shipwrecked three times. He's already seen the process, endured the process, and felt the process three times. 
And that included one time when he got shipwrecked, he was at sea for a day and a night. Like I said, if those of you have ever experienced being in the water, try it. Just try something simple. Go down to Balboa and swim out in the water when it's pitch black at night and just spend 20 minutes in the water and see what happens to your senses. Watch how acutely aware you become of anything touching you and a piece of seaweed hits your leg and you're instantly in terror. And I mean, it, you, you could be in two foot of water in the, in the back of the, your mind just runs amok on you. If you're really daring when you're out in a boat and you have someplace a little bit safer, maybe Catalina where there's a little bit less light, try being in the water when it's pitch black and no bearing that you can take on anything. If you want to see how quickly you can run into despair, if you want to see how quickly your body will start to run amok on you, these are the kind of experiments that you can do. I don't recommend them. But Paul has not only done this, but he's lived through it. So when he tells them, hey, look, we're going to crash. It's all going to be destroyed. But we're going to live. And that's more important. Take courage. None of you will be lost. Imagine that. Gale force winds blowing out to sea. No idea where they are. And, palm ha and Paul has this calm. A calm in the storm, it's not just happening. It's happening because Paul put it in motion because he believed what the angel said. How many of you recall in Matthew 8, 23, when Jesus encountered the storm, what he did? You guys remember Matthew 8, 23, and Jesus was in the storm? It was nap time, right? And the guys in the boat were going crazy, throwing out this, and who's doing this? Hey, oh, hey, oh. <clears throat> Meanwhile, the king of kings, enjoying the gentle rocking of the sea. Do you ever feel like you're that guy, the guy in the front of the boat, hey, and over here, and help, and uh, hey. And you look over, and you see someone who's just like, why is it some of us can find the calm in the storm? Why is, it, why is it that some of us have this connection to peace in the storm? And why is it the rest of us, the sky is falling? By the way, the sky is going to fall one day. The Bible says that one day it will all go away. Okay? So don't just sit there and say that the sky is Because you will be right one day. But you will miss out on a lot of life before that day happens, Right? And we've talked about this. We need to live along the way. It's the along the way days that give us the strength so when the sky does fall that we're not worried about it. We know it's going to happen. What we don't know is someone that today is with us who doesn't know Jesus, that we could share Jesus with that individual today and change their eternity. Because remember, the sower and seed principle, 60, 90, 120. One life in the kingdom of God never affects one life. It's a multitude so he's saying, hey, look, guys, head down. Here we go. Jesus can sleep through it. There's no reason to be afraid. The angel said, go. We're going. Let's keep going. Shipwreck coming up, 27. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea when about midnight. Nice time for a shipwreck, by the way, right? Midnight. The sailors sensed that they were approaching, approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. 20 fathoms, six feet per fathom. So it's like a, if you had a long rope, every six feet there would be a giant knot, and then every six feet a giant knot, and then at the bottom of the rope a large weight. And you drop the rope down, and as each knot goes through your hand, six feet, six feet, six feet. Very, very accurate. Once again, maritime, this whole thing is so maritime. So they found sounding rocks, they found weights, they know how they did this, so they know. If they're at 120 feet right now, and then they take a sounding again in 40 minutes, and they're at 90 feet, that means that they're reading the bottom, they're reading the shoreline, and the shoreline will always come up when you're reaching land, okay? The land reaches out to the ocean, so it's coming up. So it's an encouragement to them that they might be reaching some type of land. Fearing that we, now they have a new fear. Now fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks because it's midnight and they can't see anything, they dropped four anchors. These are their sea anchors from the stern, from the back, and they prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape, uh, escape from the ship, some sailors now let that lifeboat that they brought back up and put in the middle of the boat, now in an attempt to escape, they're trying to let that lifeboat down into the sea, pretending that they were going to help lower the anchors from the bow. And Paul said to the centurion, Julius, and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, they cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes and held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Now remember, this is the same Paul that earlier told them not to go. Now they go. Now they're in a case now when Paul says, if they don't stay in, they die. And instantly, 
they cut the rope to their lifeboat and let it go. Remember, the only encouragement they have is everything's going to be destroyed, but they're going to live. So this is still a pretty incredible situation for everyone to kind of say, what's going on and how is this actually happening? Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, a clue to how long the storm had actually been raging, 14 days. I mean, for those of you lucky, I was sick three days. One time, uh, we went to school at Point Loma, and uh, my friends and me decided to go fishing down in San Quentin. So we went out on a Mexican charter boat, and we went out three days on a diesel fishing boat. And I got sick as we were leaving the harbor because the diesel plume was just horrible. I was sick three days on that boat. By the third day, I had crawled because I was no longer walking. I crawled into the cuddy cabin where the captain was and pleaded with him with my ATM card that my dad gave me that had $300 in it for college. I pleaded with him, I will give you this card. That's all I had. It was everything I had in life. My fishing, I'll give you everything if you can just get one boat or anything to come pick me up. And he's like, who's going to come pick you up out here? There's nothing we can do. You're in and you're in. That's why I said, well, can at least stay up there? That cabin was up high enough. And I stayed in the cabin the rest of the time and never left. Okay? If you've ever really, really been sick, after 14 days when Paul says, eat, eat, okay, Paul, that's not really an exciting thing. Why? He says, because you have been in constant suspense and gone without food and you haven't eaten. It's so practical. Sometimes the advice people need to calm in the storm is just practical advice. Have you eaten? Have you slept? Have a bowl of soup and take a nap. And then we'll talk about it in the morning. Like, this is just, this is so fabulous. I mean, it's such an incredible account. I urge you, take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from your head. Who does that sound like? Isn't that Jesus' account of us being born? I knew you in your mother's womb. I knit you together, right? You've been skillfully and wonderfully made. Paul quoting this kind of verbiage saying, you're not even going to lose a hair from your head. So after this, verse 35, he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to them all. He broke it and began to eat. He's going into communion. Paul's going to do communion on this boat. 276 people completely stressed to the nines who haven't eaten or done anything but try to survive for 14 days. And Paul's going into communion. We do communion here. You guys know how somber it is for communion, right? I mean, you're thinking about a lot of different things. Can you imagine how incredible that communion was? If you could actually open your mouth and take something in and remind yourself, man, you have your own strength, of your own volition, you, they have nothing left. They, they have to do what he's saying, because they have nothing left. And Paul's saying, take and eat. And verse 38 says, when they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship, and they threw the rest of the grain into the sea. This is my third point. Storms do not develop character, they reveal it. Storms do not develop character, they reveal it. If you want to know why when the storms in life come around you, it's just the sky is falling in panic, is you have not had the time and the due diligence to study and ask God to build you into the man or woman that you need to be to be a leader in a storm. Okay? Your character is, are, is being developed every day with every scenario and situation you go through. Every day, God's developing your character. Your perspective on how you see that development is the difference between seeing it as punishment and privilege, right? If you see like going to church or reading your Bible or praying every day as some kind of, oh, this is like the Christian punishment part. I just like the get out of jail free part where when I die, I go to heaven, right? No, it's cost. It, it cost him. It costs us. And we have this privilege to, to prepare ourselves, to develop character in us. Character counts. Character matters. And Paul is oozing with calm because he saw the risen Lord and he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am going to appear for Caesar. And no matter what happens with Caesar, God said it has to happen. It will happen. So I told him, eat. Let's go. You're going to need your strength to get to the shore. High seas, and they're encouraged to do something. What? Your role will be at some point to swim. The boat's going away, guys, and your new role will be swim. Okay? I love that about that. You know, when you come to church sometimes, you think about, do I have a role? Every single one of you has a role in this church. If you don't think about that, then let me just give you a quick point. You play a significant role. After you hear the word of God and the word of God is with you, it's up to you to take that word and Monday through Saturday live that word out, apply that word, and be the church out there. But sometimes your job is just to swim. 
and point the people that you're with that are drowning around you to land. I also think it's incredible, too, because he's about to tell them this boat is going to be destroyed and be blown into a million pieces, and they don't even know where they're going to come aground. Sometimes in life, we don't know where we're going. Sometimes in life, we're, you know, we like to know exactly what we're doing and how we're doing it and when we're going to do it and where we're going, and we have the calendar and we follow. Sometimes the calendar, there's no calendar at sea right now, right? There's no timeline these people are working on. No one's checking their watch to see where they are and what's going on. Sometimes you just need to be with the Lord and allow this, the storm that you're in to teach you something. And what the storm is about to teach you is when I say swim, when the boat breaks apart, swim. Everything else will take care of itself. Where are we going to land? What are we going to do? Swim. If you don't swim, it's going to be a problem. By the way, when they cut the four anchors loose into the sea and let them fall to the ground... A maritime museum has been opened. Maybe you guys remember this. Four years ago, I taught about this passage briefly. A maritime museum has been opened in what's now called St. Paul's Bay off the island of Malta. You can go there. A gentleman named Mark Gatt has spent an entire life developing and researching from this account all kinds of different things. He has found a place in the harbor at 93 feet where four anchors, four Egyptian anchors were located. All four of the Egyptian anchors had inscriptions on them, including Isis, and Seraphis. These are the two Egyptian gods. Because they were able to locate the anchors, the anchors also dated when the ships came from and the port in which they were milled and made. The port spoke of the town of Alexandria, and we already know where the boat came from because it starts from leaving from a port from Alexandria on a grain ship. They headed for Rome. For those of you who think the Bible is just a book of fairy tales and fables, Acts 27 will put that right in writing for you at any given time, and you want to say, I wasn't there from the beginning. I wasn't there from the beginning either. But if Genesis says it, I'm telling you right now, it is, okay? And in this account in Acts 27, Luke documented everything he saw line by line by line. And now, 2,000 years later, we have an archaeologist going to that area in the general vicinity of, and this entire, Mark, can you put the journey up now? The entire journey has led to this one point, and they went to that point, and they went out in the harbor, and they found the anchors right off the island of Malta, and you can go see them in that museum if you would like. It's the Maritime Museum. I have information for any of you that are Malta travelers in the future. Please go see it and let us know. As stated, verse 41, they hit the sandbar and they ran aground. The bow stuck fast. Remember the way that boat was with such the deep 44 feet? The bow stuck fast into the sand, and it did not move. With the bow stuck into the sand and the waves crashing and moving side to side, the rear of the boat began to be broken into pieces. Sounds pretty terrifying. As it's broken into pieces, pieces of wood planks began to fall astrewn, and the soldiers planned to kill everyone to prevent them from swimming away and escaping, but the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life, and so he kept them from carrying out their plan. I mean, this is interesting. On one sense, you have the first recorded documentation of surfing in the Bible. Everyone's grabbing a wood plank and heading in, surviving this incredible ordeal. And then the reality that for the prisoners that are about to be going into the water, see, Roman law said this, if I'm guarding you and you're up for murder, if you escape, I now have to stand before the magistrate for murder. So whatever percentage of the 276 that were prisoners, Julius the centurion is now confronted with, I've got to kill these guys. I need to line them up and kill them right now. Because if they escape, every single one of those is now going to go against me. And now, the same Paul that he wouldn't listen to, he finds himself listening to him, and he wants to spare Paul's life, and so he lets them swim. And he ordered all those who could swim to jump overboard and to swim for land. And the rest were on planks and other pieces of the ship, and this way everyone reached the land. My final point, calm in the storm. When there is calm in the storm, when one person has peace in the storm, there's hope for all, right? We talked about the power of one testimony two weeks ago. Today, I want to tell you this. The power of one person in this auditorium, the power of one person truly believing that God is, was, and shall be. If you have that calm in the storm that you are going through, you can be the anchor for all the people around you that are completely lost and wouldn't know what to do. And when you tell them to jump and when you tell them to swim, they will jump and they will swim and they will survive. Sure, they will come to land without a boat and without a lot of different things, but sometimes the point is that you survive. Sometimes the point is that you're alive to fight another day. And you can get more stuff, right? You can't get another life. 
the value of your life is significant. Whether 60, 70, 20, or 30, whatever age you are, Moses was 80 when God called him, is the value of your life is you might be that one person to hold fast in the storm. I want to encourage you this morning, if you are in a storm, if, you're, if your spiritual world is tumultuous, and you keep looking, who's going to come, who's going to come, I want to encourage you this morning that you come, that you be the person to stand fast and say, you know what? If God has put me in this storm and God's asking me to bend and flex, then I'm going to hold fast. And even if the boat that I'm in breaks apart, I'm swimming. I'm going to swim up to the shore and I'm going to go to the shore. I'm going to trust this is where God would have me to be. Because in the end, this is what I want to tell you about next week. The island that he lands on, Malta, at the time is not a spiritual island. It has very few Christian people, if at all. Today, a point from four years ago, too, is still very true today. Today, the island of Malta is still over 65% religious. They would have never been, but they have the ability, once again, to track it. And it comes back to an incident about 2,000 years ago where the island got its first influx of missionaries. And guess what? All those missionaries swam in from a boat that was destroyed on their shoreline. And all 276 people that swam in on that boat to that shoreline brought the same story of how a God reconciled them in a storm. And what they brought with them went into that land and went into those homes, and it continued to perpetuate. And today, that entire island of Malta can say, praise God for that shipwreck. Right? Storms change your directions. They're going to make you make new plans. But maybe that's where God would intend you to be anyways. You have, to re, you have to reconsider sometimes. Sometimes the very plans you have, sometimes the very direction that you're setting sail and everything about your plan that makes perfect sense is not what God would have. And so yes, you set sail and yes, you're trying to be faithful to what you think God has called. But if he decides to move you, if he decides to redirect you, I would encourage, go where God wants you to be and be blessed rather than go where you want to be and leave God behind. Storms change your value, and sometimes cargo is no longer what's significant. Some of you are still prioritizing the cargo in your life. Sometimes right now you're in the storm, you're in a difficult season of your life, and you're still trying to prioritize your stuff. You've got to let your stuff go. Matter of fact, for some of you, you need to jettison the stuff. Because if the stuff is going to bring you down, it's of no value to you. It's just like those anchors. See, anchors are very valuable to a boat, but at some point when the boat realizes it's going to be torn apart, you've got to jettison the anchors. You've got to trust that God's going to be in it. Storms aren't developing your character. They're exposing it. And what is exposed by that? When you see it, if you don't like what God has exposed in that and you're frustrated with that, well, then it's a good time to just say, hey, look, I've got some stuff i got to work on. And then get to work on it. Starting the next day, we'll talk about waking up in the morning and praying and kind of committing yourself, saying, I don't like where I'm at. I don't like the situation that I'm in. Lord, I need to start anew. So starting today, help me look at myself and be honest. I want character. I want to be the kind of person that when the storms are blowing and the hard times in life come, that I can just say, hey, everyone, it's okay. I understand we're afraid. And we have a reason to be afraid, but God's told us we, we got to go to Rome. We're going to make it to Rome. We're all going to live. Not one hair on your head will be hurt. You might be scared, and you might land on the island wet, but you'll be alive, right? And that's the higher calling. And then finally this, one calm person in the storm can bring hope to everyone. Be that calm person. Be that person that has confidence in God. Be that person that says, you know what? I understand that this looks bleak, but I believe and I believe that God's doing something in your life that's going to make a difference in somebody else's life and somebody else's life and somebody else's life and so on and so on. So make a difference. Believe. If you believe like I believe, we can do all kinds of things together. But if I'm the only one that believes, this is going to be a problem. If you want to get in the lifeboat and go try it on your own, Right? They were told where safety lied in the ship that was about to be destroyed. Safety lies in the ship that's about to be destroyed. That seems kind of contradicting. Stay on the ship that's a, stay on the Titanic if you want to live. Right? Is there a little bit of conflict? But he's saying, because that's what the Lord said. So that's what we need to do. You're like, yeah, but the lifeboat and the whole point of the lifeboat is my life. It doesn't matter what makes sense to you. Lean not into your own understanding. Trust what the Lord says. Stay on the sinking ship. Because when that ship sinks, it's going to be on a sandbar, and you're going to swim to the island, and safety will be waiting for you. The variant storm, intended possibly to kill all of them, is now the storm that brings life to an entire island. 
This morning, as I conclude this part of this and get ready to do our um, child dedication and our goodbye to a family standoff we're going to have, I want to just pray for you and remind you this. I'm praying right now for you and for this church that in the season that we're in, if you are in a storm, I'm praying that this morning that you will realize it's okay. okay? What did Paul do to deserve any part of the last four chapters that we've talked about? Quantify for me one component of what Paul did to deserve being in jail all that time, standing in front of all those governors, being accused of all these different things, and not one thing is ever proven to finally get on the ship to now have to experience this. This is years, four or five years of punishment and purgatory and testing. What did Paul do? You know what Paul would tell you? I killed Stephen. I authorized it. I made Christians blaspheme the name of God. Woe to me if I don't preach. Because there's, there's no one, there's, not only am I not righteous, there's nothing good about me. But this is what the Lord has given me, and this is what I'm giving you. So this is it. I can be the calm in the storm and tell you, hey, look, if God says we've got to go to Rome, we're going to Rome. And I know this right now in the times that we're in, people are like, oh, you know, the sky is falling. The sky is falling, church. It's been falling for 2,000 years. It will continue to fall until the Lord returns. That's a given. But what's not a given is, will we be here tomorrow? So since we have today, let's live today in such a way that some of us are realizing it's time for us to stand up and have confidence and say, hey, look, we're not going to die before we get to Rome. we got to make it to Rome. And we have a job to do, and God has called us to do that. So let's do it boldly, and let's do it with encouragement. And even if the ship's breaking up around us, let's still stand fast uh, as the Titanic did, you know, the captain and the ship's band played, right? Talk about an honorable thing. It's documented that as the Titanic sunk, the remaining leadership on the boat had the band continue to play. Let's, let's celebrate, right? Because if we do happen to be on that boat and that is our last moment, then we need to realize what else this man wrote. To die is to gain. So what do we have to fear? How are we living our lives in fear? If we live for Christ, is gain. If, if someone comes into the kingdom of God, it's gain. And if we die, is gain. The only thing that's not gain is when someone refuses to join us in heaven and eternity and that's that's when our heart breaks and that's when the difficulty of this world kind of overwhelms us but it's okay it is the high calling and we've been called to do it let me pray and then i'm gonna invite the blessings to come forward and we're gonna have a moment to celebrate them and their time and ministry at this church father god i thank you for the morning i thank you for the opportunity to study your word i look forward to next week and the conclusion of what happens on the isle of malta it's just a continuation of incredible faith that one man's journey could be so inundated with trials so inundated with storms and yet what he continues to just share and show to everyone is that it's okay i didn't i didn't want this to be this way if i had a choice of what i would choose i don't know that i would choose this but if this is what the lord chooses then so be it you know here am i lord send me and i love that and i want to encourage the church this morning to just make peace with it in their relationships in their time that they're spending alone, prioritize the things of God. Prioritize praying together. Prioritize reading God's word together. Prioritize your faith. And change your values if you need to. Change what's important and significant. Because if your priorities aren't the things of God, then maybe that's the reason why you're so distracted. Father, if there's anyone in here this morning that has made it to this point and still does not know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, if they have not professed the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior, then I would pray right now, Father, that on behalf of that storm, on behalf of that trial that's got them here to this moment, today would be the day that they pray this prayer. Simple prayer, changes every time, says the same thing. Dear Lord, come into my life. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Be my God. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Cleanse my heart. Cleanse my mind. Cleanse my soul. May my life be a sacrifice to you. Thank you for everything that was given to me that I did not deserve. I receive it in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Like I said, it's bittersweet this morning because we have a family. Come on up, Heather and Kevin, and any of your people with you. That's uh, moving on. They've been uh, part of the church for over 20 years. And uh, they are going to be uh, spending some time up in North Tustin kind of area where they are. And see Orange, North Orange, and see what the Lord has for them. And especially in light of this new, incredible Peapod that we call Cora. And this is, uh, this is as good as it gets right here. I see that she dressed herself this morning. She picked out a lovely outfit. Those of you who know uh, Heather and Ke- we've been praying for them for a long time. Um, black belt and karate, so the wrong person to mess with. Um, if someone takes baby Cora's binky, there should be a warning that comes with that. We should let them know it's going to be a problem. And they've really been part of the church for as long as I've been. I've been here six and a half, seven years, and I know 20 years? 25 years of being at the church. We had a chance to talk, and they've kind of been spending some time with the child, and what they're thinking about is like where they live is kind of a bit of ways, and they're really hoping for a community this time, a new season of community where the Lord can bless them, and they want to reach out, and, but they also wanted to take the time to tell their church family, thank you for everything, that they love you guys, and that God has been really good to them. Um, I think we kind of experienced it with the Bundys. I remember when the Bundys left, and they were from Mission Viejo, and they were just looking for something for the boys. So please just celebrate with me as I celebrate with them that God is calling them to go do this. And they're really taking the time to honor the church, and I'm so grateful. I really I just want to say thank you guys for honoring the church with your time and 25 years of ministry. And I pray right now that even somewhere, wherever this church is in North, they would not even know the blessing that's about to come their way, you know? What a blessing to have some, some the blessings, the blessings of the blessings. Uh, come their way. And I have some stuff that I wrote down here for the child, and I just want to remind you. So Samuel, uh, we're told in Samuel 1 that Hannah took Samuel to the Lord to be dedicated, right? This is something that's been done. Mary, uh, Mary took Joseph and brought Jesus to the temple in order to be dedicated. But one of the things that we realize with like a child dedication is What we're really doing is dedicating you guys to the Lord. We're dedicating you to say, Lord, we want to raise up this child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We want to do everything. Thank you. We want to do everything we can for you, Cora. Everything. I thank you for smiling. I think that's glorious. Very kind of you. But we want to just support you in that. And then I wrote down a couple of things here. Um, Deuteronomy 4, 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. For these commandments I give to you today are to be written upon your hearts, impress them to your children, talk about them at your home when you sit down and when you're walking on the road, when you lie down and when you get up. These are all the things that we're hoping that you guys will be able to do with her. And I wrote down this little portion here. This is like a little uh, commitment. So do you guys promise to train up Cora in the ways of God? If so, say we do. And do you promise to be an example for her to be Christian living of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Amen. Is it your earnest desire to provide protection and nurture for your child and provide them a home where God is both honored and loved? Amen. And do you promise to pray for your children on a regular basis in good, bad, and indifferent? Amen. Do you also ask at this time that uh, someday that the Lord would have Cora come make a profession of faith to put Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior one day? Well, uh, based on that, I would just like to say I would like to pray for you, and if it's mildly possible, I would like to take the opportunity to try. Are you going to allow this? Are you going to allow this? This is going to be a truly miraculous moment. I am a grandparent who knows how to hold, okay? Father God, I stand before you with this incredible family who's been so faithful to you for over 25 years, and we know that Cora is an absolute gift from God, and we want to dedicate this little gift to you, Father, and say thank you for children and what a blessing they are. And I also want to just pray right now that you would bless Heather and Kevin. Wherever this church is to go and whatever this next adventure is for them, Father, in faith, I pray that you would make this a special time of blessing. Okay, yes, I tried. I tried. I know it's a strange voice. I'm going to give her back to you. I don't want any crying. You're too beautiful for crying. I know. I pray that you would make this time a special time of blessing for them and that what this next church would just realize what an incredible opportunity to have this couple come their way, Father. On behalf of the entire church, we lift this child up to you and we also promise to continue our prayers and our support through the friendships that we've made and look forward to seeing what will be the new Ecclesiastes 3, the new time and season of life, Father. Thank you for this opportunity to stand before the church. We lift this up to you and we ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys for doing that. Uh, that's for you guys. Thank you guys so much for letting us do that. 
All right, well, that's all for this morning. Um, I'm just going to tell you that we have some exciting stuff next week. If you need prayer, if you have any questions and you want to stay after, I'm glad to stay after and pray with you. Uh, next week, like I said, Pastor Rod will be taking us through chapter 28. And then starting March 3rd, we're going to jump into a new book and see what the Lord has. God bless you all. Have a wonderful weekend. May God's peace go with you wherever you go. We love you guys. We'll see you next week. comes the king